In November 1979, New Zealand Flight 901 set out from McMurdo Station in New Zealand, presumably. Uh, it was an American airstrip. It set out for Amer- McMurdo Station, sorry, from New Zealand. Uh, and McMurdo is an American airstrip. It's, it's behind Mount Erebus, E-R-E-B-U-S, if you want to look up this story, in the Antarctic. The flight was following a standard plan. They'd begun to fly uh, people on sightseeing missions, missions, journeys, holidays, to this mountain in the Antarctic uh, a year before. And they planned this course. And the course they plotted on the maps they used and on the computers in the aeroplane was very, very fractionally off course. It was out by two degrees. That's almost nothing. On a watch, that would be a fraction of a second out. However, by the time they reached the Antarctic, they were out by 30 miles because of this two-degree error in their course planning. Tragically, what that meant is that the plane actually flew into the mountain rather than arriving on the airstrip. So that tiny deviation in their course settings had a massive impact on where they ended up. And actually, this is used, this story is used by people who teach navigation to aeroplane pilots. And there are a number of things they use it to teach, but there are two of them that I think are relevant for any organisation, for churches in particular. First, if we set out on the wrong heading, even by a little, we can end up going badly wrong. If we get our heading wrong, even by a little, we can actually end up being a long way off course. It's vital that we know where we're going and how we're going to get there. Secondly, we have to keep on checking that we haven't shifted from that course. You see, you you might have thought to yourself, if this was plotted in the machine, in the aeroplane's computers a year before, why is it that no one else had flown into the mountain? The reason was that everyone else had flown flown in great visibility. So as they'd gone on the journey, although the computer was two degrees out, they kept checking, they could see where the mountain was, and they could see where the airstrip was. And so eventually they corrected their course and they flew onto the airstrip. When Flight 901 took off, it was covered in fog and ice, and they couldn't see, they relied on the computers, and therefore they never changed course. Now these two points are important for us as a church. I'm sharing them with you for a reason, not because uh, this isn't a prelude to me dropping the bombshell that I felt called to become an airline pilot. And that's the reason why Rosemary's praying in the church. Uh, And we're trying to equip other people because next year I'm off flying uh, Antarctic flights. Although that might be how I drop that bombshell one day. The reason I say this is because there is a journey that we set out on as Christians, as a church. We have a mission to do. God didn't just call us to feel nice or to sing nice songs. Actually, coming to church for some of us is real work. It's real effort to get to church. If you're someone with young children, uh, I was reflecting on it this morning as uh, I was yanking my daughter back in and she tried to run out in the road in her pyjamas. It's it's actually effort to get to church in the morning. And I know if you're you're old and and you can't drive and you have to arrange lifts, it's hard to get here. You know, we're not coming here because it feels good, although hopefully it does. We're coming because God has called us with a purpose. Every single person in this room is on a journey, and it's a journey with a purpose. 
And actually, we need to to take time every so often to refocus, to make sure that we're still heading on the right direction, that we haven't deviated off course, that we didn't start by misunderstanding what we were doing in the first place. Because otherwise, we won't make it to where we're going to, and we won't do what we're going out to do. That's actually why every September or so on, uh, every September or so, we take a break from our normal teaching series and we take time to, take, to restock and assess where God is calling us to be. Now, a lot of churches call this Vision Sundays. I, I personally don't really like that, although I've used it in the past, because it implies that it's different every year. Actually, it's not different every year. The destination never changes. The calling never changes. It might change its expression, so it will look different in different places and at different times. But actually, it's always the same. What we're doing is resetting ourselves. We're saying, God, we want to come to you and we want to reset and refocus so that we do what you want us to do, so that we are who you want us to be, so that we fulfill the calling on our lives and become who we are intended to be. We're actually coming to God and saying, reaffirm the calling you've given each one of us and fill us with the power to do it. And that's actually what we're going to do today. So as ever, we're going to read from several bits of the Bible. I always include readings from the Old Testament, the writings that came before Jesus. Because very often Jesus and the uh, other New Testament writers are quoting bits of the Old Testament and saying, look at this, look what God said, this is all about Jesus. And then we're including some of what Jesus said and did, because in the end Jesus is who it's all about. And then we're going to include something of how people reflected on what it meant in the life of the church. And that's what St. Paul and others wrote. So first of all, I'm going to read from John 7, and verse 37 to 39. This is where we're going to be studying. So if you've got a Bible, keep your fingers in John 7. John is the fourth of the Gospels. It's probably the deepest and richest piece of literature ever written, I will say that. I've read a lot of books. I haven't by any means read all the books. But I would say that this merits more meditation and study than anything else I've ever read. Just profound. This gospel, amongst others, I was reading a book yesterday, interestingly, on doubt and certainty and anxiety, because I'm someone who struggles with all of those things. And uh, walking through it with God has been really powerful for me this summer. So if you're someone who struggles with anxiety and doubt and certainty and uh, questioning yourself all the time, then um, I want to encourage you, there are others of us out there, and that God has got you and that he's not going to let you go. Uh, He's got a plan for you. Um, I was reading a book and it was talking about how the opening few verses, the opening few sentences of John actually changed Western culture completely. In Western intellectual culture, all the achievements of science and everything else that came after are rooted in the first three sentences of John. And people have done massive historical studies and shown that to be the case. And it changed the whole way the ancient world saw life. Uh, this is a really deep book. And we're going to be reading from it today. So hopefully me saying that has given you time to find it. This is John 7 and verse 37. Jesus is speaking. Oh no, there we go, sorry. I've got the wrong verse up. This is Jesus speaking. Give you the setting. He's at Jerusalem. They're having a massive feast. And as part of this feast, people are picking up the priests every day, go to one of the pools, and they get a jug of water. And then they go to the altar and they pour the water out. And it represents God's provision of water so the ground can be fruitful and life can come. 
And on the last day of the feast, they used to get the jug and they would do it seven times. So they would travel literally the length of Jerusalem, this massive ceremony, getting water, carrying it to the other end of Jerusalem, pouring it out. Getting water, pouring it out. And they would thank God and pray for rain. And so in the middle of this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up. And he said in a loud voice, that anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit. This is now John's comment. By this he meant the spirit, those whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Then we, uh, you know, noticed in the middle of that verse it says, uh, Jesus says, whoever believes in me is the scripture has said. So let's see what scripture he's talking about. What's he quoting from? Well, there are a number of uh, scriptures that deal with a water being poured out by God, but this is the main one, one of the main ones. It's Isaiah chapter 58. So don't worry about finding it. It'll be on the screen. This is God speaking. He says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, and with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will stretch your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will build, rebuild the ancient ruins. And will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. City streets, in other words. This is speaking, as Jesus said, about the Spirit. So let's read about the Spirit. You don't need to turn to it. This is Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from the Bible. This is the first moment where the the disciples' relationship with the Holy Spirit changed. The Spirit's always been in the world. He creates and sustains everything. He's the one who makes us able to seek God in the first place. But something in their relationship with him changed after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And so this is is what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, this is another Jewish festival... They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. It's a funny way of translating that, actually. It means other languages. As the Spirit enabled them. And then I'm going to skip to the end of the chapter because it goes on for a long time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the word of God. What am I trying to say today? What's today's lunchtime summary? Well, here it is. This is everything that I think that this church is going to be about in the next year, in one sentence. We are called to pursue Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to bless others. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. We're called to pursue Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and bless others. To pursue Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to bless other people. Everything we do flows from that. This is the standard by which we assess everything we do. If it doesn't do one of those three things, or preferably all of them, then we're not doing it. Because I haven't got time to waste. I'm hurtling towards 35. <laughs> and I'm anxious about it. It's just me trolling people. I, uh, we keep getting invited to 40th birthday parties, so I'm, I'm planning on uh, throwing a passive-aggressive 35th birthday party for Heather. I don't have time to waste. We're called to pursue Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to work with him to bless others. What does this mean? Well, keep open those words in that Jesus spoke. Put them on the screen, in case you struggle with the Bible. First and foremost, we are Jesus people. I don't know how many times I've said the word Jesus this morning, but it must be approaching 15 or 20 and I've only been going five minutes. We are Jesus people. We're not in the end the church, although we are a church and we're part of the church going through time and it's incredibly encouraging to be with an institution that stood for 2,000 years and shows every sign of growing. It's incredibly encouraging to be part of the fastest growing movement in, in uh, worldwide society, to know that at a time in the West when it feels like the church is retreating, that in every other part of the world it is expanding at such a rate that Pew, the people who do surveys of global demographics, predict that in 50 years time Christianity will have grown uh, actually interestingly Islam will have grown and every other type of uh, belief system will have shrunk including atheism and agnosticism right it's encouraging to know that it's encouraging to be part of the institution that has produced the greatest insights into human condition, the greatest scientific breakthroughs, the greatest progression in the rights of women and minorities, the greatest movement for reconciliation in global history. It is encouraging to be part of the church. Don't ever feel discouraged to be known as a Christian, to be known as part of a church. You've got nothing to be embarrassed of. The people who have something to be embarrassed of are those who seek to take the benefits of everything we have achieved and then deny the people who've achieved it. That's a truly embarrassing position to have. Like a son who dines at his father's table and then spits in his face. It's an embarrassing position to be in. I don't feel embarrassed to be a Christian. I would feel embarrassed to take the benefits of Christianity and then deny the faith that produced them. And yet, this is not the point. The point is not having friends. The point is not coming to God in some abstract way. 
You know, we watch Star Wars a lot in my house. We love Star Wars. We did a Star Wars marathon yesterday. We, uh, we watched The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi back to back. And I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. And you have this weirdly um, incoherent concept of the Force in Star Wars. I say weirdly incoherent because on the one hand it's supposed to be completely indifferent and yet every so often they can't help talking about it in the way that Christians talk about God. Because otherwise it's so unsatisfying. We're not actually interested in God as some abstract concept. Someone who's out there. In the end, we are about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. How do we know who God is? We see Jesus. What would God think about something? What would Jesus think about it? What would God do in a situation? What would Jesus do in a situation? How do we know that God, rose, uh, that God cares about the world? Because Jesus rose from the dead. We are Jesus people. And that's interesting. It's interesting if you come from a, a deeply religious background. You might come from uh, a background that's uh, a, rooted in the Roman Catholic or the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Both great traditions, I have a lot of time for them. But the, one of the things I've noticed is that if you're in one of those traditions, you can spend a lot of time talking about every other person in Christian history except Jesus. It can all be about Mary, or it can all be about the saints. I talked to one Orthodox priest who was a, a friend of my lovely guy, really great guy, really generous to me, very helpful when I was at college, and yeah, he said that in his church, the priest could speak to Jesus directly, but everybody else went through one of the saints, because they didn't feel like they could quite get to it. And I said, no! I want to shake him and say, brother, you're a Jesus person, and so's he. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. And actually, this is the, the greatest evangelistic tool we have. Because Jesus is probably the most attractive person who's ever lived. We live in a society that struggles with the idea of God. But every society gets the idea of Jesus. We're Jesus people. It's what it is to be a Christian, to be a little Christ. That's what Christian actually means, to be a little version of Jesus. That's what Jesus himself teaches when he stood up. Interesting, if you, did you notice what happened in the... In the two readings, Jesus stood up and, and said, I want to I tell you how this scripture from Isaiah is fulfilled. And in the scripture, it's God speaking. So the people are thinking, oh, that's interesting. God is about to say how God is going to provide us with water. And Jesus says, you know that thing that God says God will do? That's about me. Now again, you might occasionally have friends who think they know something about religious history. They've got a GCSE and RE, maybe, I don't know. And they very wisely and sceptically say, well, of course, Jesus never claimed to be God. As soon as I hear that, I know that the person has never read one of the Gospels. Right? It, all it indicates is the person doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't want to be brutal, but that's true. And I know these things shake people's faith sometimes. Jesus claims over and over and over again to be God. Over and over and over again. He takes these things that God says God will do, and he says, that's about me. Come to me. This thing you want from God, well, I will give it to you. Jesus is the person who can give wholeness, peace and healing. I don't know, are you struggling with, with anxiety and with depression and with uh, hurt this year? Well, it is Jesus who will release it from you. I don't just speak as an abstract 
someone who's grasping abstract ideas. I didn't read that in a book. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Jesus is the one who heals human hearts. Jesus is the person who gives forgiveness and restoration. Again, we we looked at that, we're going to come back to this, but that, that passage in Isaiah, look at what he says. When this well is put within you, when the Spirit comes within you, you become someone who's a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of city streets. My friends, I don't know if there is, well, probably not since the late 1980s has there been a time in our country when more, when there was, if this was more necessary. I, I can't think of a time during my lifetime, after the 1980s, when it has been more necessary to have people who are repairers of broken walls. That's not me taking a position. On the issues. If you want to know how I voted, you can come and ask me. But I'm not, there is no Christian position on whether you should remain or, or leave the EU, right? Different people make different judgments. And it's actually fine to, to vote either way. If you voted remain, if you voted leave, you are very welcome in our church. We love you. Jesus loves you. There is no right and wrong answer on this. From a Christian perspective. You might be convinced for other reasons, but that's not because of your faith. But in the end, I, I, I don't really want to identify myself as someone who wants to remain in the EU or someone who wants to leave the EU. I want to identify myself as someone who repairs the gap between the two. I don't want to be on one side or the other. I want to, I want to heal the division between people. It's Jesus who does it. In everything we do this year, in everything you pursue in your own spiritual life, in your own devotional life, let it be about Jesus. I'm going to offer some practical suggestions in a minute, but one of them is this. In your devotional life, make sure that you stick close to the Gospels. It's not that the whole... The, first of all, we should be regularly in the Bible... Secondly, I'm firmly convinced that it's great to be regularly in the Bible, but that we should try and make sure that we, we stay close to the Gospels. Because in the end, Jesus is what the rest of it's about. Jesus is who we're about. If you find that you're reading Christian books more than you're reading the Christian book, then I just want to, and I'm going to speak my own testimony. I just gently want to say that you'll find that, that you, you're not getting as much from it as you would be otherwise. So with Jesus people, we are spirit people. When we come to Jesus, he wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't just want us to pray to him from a distance or sing songs about him or even to try to be like him. When I was a kid, I used to play jazz music. And um, my great hero is Miles Davis. I absolutely love Miles Davis. Honestly, I, I, this is a time before you could do streaming so people didn't have access to every music thing they could get. And uh, every time I went into the CD shop, I used to go in and uh, I would go in firmly intending to buy a different record, different CD, something new, and I would come out with yet another Miles Davis one. My brother came into my room once, this was when I was a teenager, so I had no money, I spent all my money on. And there were 17 Miles Davis CDs up there, it was like, Ooh. do you feel like it's got out of hand a little bit? 
you've got two copies of In a Silent Way. You've got the In a Silent Way CD that Miles Davis produced. You've also got the complete sessions with all the tracks they didn't release. Gently want to suggest, Phil, that someone's taking your money. I love Miles Davis, and I used to want to be like Miles Davis. I don't mean um, in my personality. He was a horrible man. But um, in the way that I played. I played trombone, he played trumpet, but I was desperate to get myself one of the mutes that sounded like him. I I loved it. I actually bought books so that I could learn how to solo like Miles. I I loved it. We can have that kind of relationship with Jesus. That he's someone we read about. Even someone we try and be like. And that's great. Jesus loves that. If that's, if that's where you are, that is a wonderful faith. If you're walking and you're trying to follow Christ, then you are fully a Christian. He loves you. But he has something more from you. He says, actually, I want, I want my spirit to be filling you. I don't just want you to try and be like me. I don't just want you to come to serve me. I don't just want you to love me. I want to be in you, to animate you, to empower you. It's as if the spirit of Miles Davis was wanting to come and and cause me to play the trombone like only the genius could. I want you to picture for a moment what that would have done to my playing. I realise that I've picked probably quite an obscure thing. Maybe you don't know who Miles Davis is, in which case this analogy is falling flat. He's probably the greatest jazz trumpet player of all time. It's It's not a controversial thing to say. The greatest jazz trumpet player of all time. What if, what if instead of me just listening to him and reading about him and thinking about him, he'd said, Phil, <coughs> he had no vocal cords, Phil, I'm going to come in you and I'm going to play through you. After I'm going to gone, you're going to play and I'm going to play in you. I thought, wow, Miles. I'm 18 and I'm... I'm playing my trombone, I'm doing my best, but I've got to tell you, it sounds nothing like you. Don't worry. When I'm gone, I'm going to play through you. And I come into my band the next day and I say, Nick, Nick, was my, Nick was the leader of my big band when I was touring around Europe and stuff. And uh, I come in and they say, Nick, Nick, the most amazing things happen. I've been filled with the power of Mars Davis. He says, Phil, what are you talking about? I said, just, don't, don't worry about it. Just give me the solo. He says, Phil, last time we did that, bad stuff happened. <laughs> you know, your heart's willing, but you just lack the power. You can't do it. There's someone else over there who's a really great trombone player. I mean, you're a good trombone player, a good classical trombone player. You're not an improviser, Phil. Don't. Look at the one who's naturally good at it. I said, no, 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 no. Nick, don't. I know before I was a fan of Miles. I was a follower of Miles. But now I'm filled with Miles. I want to play. He says, okay, Phil, we'll give you one go. But sit down, you're interrupting rehearsal. So sit down and he gets to, the, get to this, the, this, the break in the music in the middle and he says, Phil, now you're going to stand up and you're going to play. And I stand up and I play and out comes this sound. He's like, What? And everybody suddenly, you can imagine, imagine what would happen if you suddenly started playing like the greatest jazz trumpet player of all time. And they look at you and think, what happened to him? He's gone from being a fan of Miles, someone who tried to copy stuff, to, to being like him. 
It's as if Mars is here. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come to me. If you're thirsty, if, you, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're desperate for something more in life, if you want to achieve more of your life, if you want to be satisfied with more, if, if you want to be one who repairs broken walls, who, who does the work of God in the world, he says the thing to do is to come to me and drink. And I'll put myself within you. I'll put myself within you. It won't be you playing anymore, it will be me. It won't be you praying anymore, it will be me. It won't be you praying for the sick anymore, it will be me. It won't be you teaching people about God, it will be me. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with Him, we need to be immersed in Him. Really, that's about opening up our, 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 our lives relationally. If you're wondering how this works, maybe you've got a theological hat on. How does it work to be filled with a person? Well, the best analogy I can think of is marriage. Um, before, uh, there are various stages in my, my relationship with my wife. There was uh, one where we were classmates. And we knew each other. And she was in my life as part of the group of people who I was studying to be a lawyer with. And uh, we didn't think that much of each other. We were in class together. And then eventually we became friends. Our relationship changed. And it was great. And actually I think lots of us are friends of the Holy Spirit. Lots of us are friends of the Holy Spirit. And then we fell in love. And we desired one another. And actually some of us have moved to that point where we desire the Holy Spirit. Not just someone who's in our lives who we desire. And then there was a day when her father gave her to me. And then I was one with her. And she filled my life. And I filled hers. And that's what we desire. We desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, you might think to yourself, I know the Holy Spirit, but actually I want to move past just knowing him. I want to be filled with him. I want to fill my life. In. It's, just a, it's just an analogy. Please don't stone me for heresy. There's a very funny video on YouTube of two little Irish leprechauns uh, talking about the doctrine of the Trinity with St. Patrick. And every time he tries to explain it using an analogy, they explain to him why he's a heretic. And it's, it's a very funny video. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a picture. But I think it's a helpful picture. Because Jesus is saying, actually, I want you to be filled with my spirit. I want you to be filled with me. I want him to overwhelm you. We need to we need to be Jesus people, we want to be spirit people. We're a church that really believes in the Holy Spirit's presence with us now. This is one of the reasons why we share stories about uh, people being healed. Not because God heals all the time. He doesn't heal all the time. He heals as a sign of the presence of Christ. Well, there is going to be a healing. When we die, we will be healed. All right? That's Christian doctrine. I don't want to be bleak. But actually it's quite important that somebody who visits hospitals and who deals with the reality of sickness and suffering and death, that there will, ultimately when we die, we will find ourselves healed in the presence of God and he will give us a new body and we will be healed. That is the healing God plans for humanity. One of the reasons we tell stories about it, about how we speak prophetically to people or where God has spoken a word and it turned out to be true or where uh, God has, we prayed for someone and God has done something to their body, uh, I'll share... I can't remember if I shared the one with you about my lungs. I can't remember if I've shared that. So I uh, had a problem with my lungs a few years ago. I went for an x-ray at 
uh, hospital in Walton and um, they came back and uh, I had the doctor rang me up and she said, uh, hello my love. And I thought, first of all, the doctor's never rung me before. Secondly, I mean, we get on fine. I would never say that we were at my love point. Right? Mr. Fellows, yeah, absolutely. Phil, if she feels want to be, wants to feel presumptuous. But as soon as a doctor rings up and says, hello my love, and you think, um... Doctor, why are you buttering me up? He said, well, there's nothing to worry about, but there's a lump in your lungs. You know, we've, we've done the scan, and there's a lump in your lungs. So, um, don't worry, but I've, I've made an emergency appointment for you to be scanned again at the hospital. You think, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure you've judged this conversation quite right. I'm carrying this weight around in my mind, and... Um, I go to college, this was a few years back when I was at college. You can feel free to disbelieve this if you want, but I'm telling you it's true, it's my, it's my story. A friend of mine at college, wasn't that friendly with her, but she had this thing where she would just pray for people. I mean, really impressive. She said, Phil, I feel like I want to pray for your lungs. I've got a picture in my mind of your lungs, like an x-ray. And I was like, oh, flip. And uh, I said, all right, Pam, you can pray for me. That would be really nice, thank you. And she prayed for my lungs, and she didn't pray like, it wasn't a great prayer, I can't even remember what she said. Lovely lady from Croydon. Um, And I went back, and I went to the hospital next week, and I kid you not, they did the scan again, and then I went in to get the results, and they were like, it's a bit embarrassing, we don't really know why you're here, because there's nothing in your lungs. We know we've seen the other one, we know there's a, I I know that there's something there on the other scan, I know there's nothing, I can't really... Can't really explain it. There's nothing there on the next scan. It will leave that with you. There was a lump in my lungs, apparently. Now there's no lump. Now, I'm not saying that to say that if you have enough faith and you pray enough that everyone will be healed of cancer. Heather's father's suffering very badly with cancer at the moment. God, in the end, doesn't heal all of us all the time. What he does is he provides us signs and indications of the kingdom of God. So that we have faith to keep walking with him. Actually, what the effect of that on me was that I started praying with people more. And I actually have faith to pray more. It was a really hard time for me. And, and what it was essentially was God doing in me was saying, actually, I, I care about you and I love you. And you can keep praying for people. This is the most important thing you'll do. And I'm now writing a dissertation about prayer. Because praying is the most important thing I do. The reason we share these stories is to build people's faith. Actually, God is present. We believe God is present. So we want to be Jesus people, we want to be spirit people, we also want to be other people people. I love this one. Other people people. Focus on others, on doing good and sharing love with others. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a river flowing out of us. don't know how often, if you've been in church a long time, you've heard this verse talked about. How often have you thought about that? The Holy Spirit is not given to you so that you can come closer to Jesus and that's it. He is in the world to do Jesus' work and you happen to be the vessel he's doing it through. A river that flows, flows somewhere. This church is about blessing others. We are Jesus people, we are spirit people, we are other people people. Rivers flow away from their source to others. In other words, the spirit wants to bless those around us. The result of the spring of the spirit, Isaiah says, is that we're able to rebuild the world around us. This year, that has never been a more pressing need. 
So we're doing other things. We're doing stuff in the church this week, like this year, like we're hosting breastfeeding clinics. We're hosting health visitors. We're doing toddler groups. We are visiting the sick. If you have a great idea about how you'd like to bless the world around you, then let us know. We're, t- we're sharing Alpha with people because it's by meeting Jesus that their anxiety and their stress and their brokenness and their sin is forgiven and healed. We do these things because we're a river that flows. How should this affect how we live? Well, first of all, have you come to Jesus? If you're someone who listens to these messages on the recording, or you are someone who's in the church right now, and you've never come to Jesus for yourself, maybe you've never actually gone on Alpha, you've never worked out whether you really believe you're here because it's what you've always done, or because someone else thinks you should be, or you're listening to these recordings because you love the way my voice sounds, first of all, let's pray for your ears. Secondly, come to Jesus. And you'll receive a river that flows up to everlasting life. Have you been filled with the Spirit? Come and ask Jesus and he will fill you with his Spirit. He'll give you other languages to pray in, if that's right for you. Brings you joy and insight in your soul. Thirdly, where can you bless the world around you? Where can we bless the world around us? Where should the river flow? We're called to pursue Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit. And to work with him to bless others. And we're just going to sit and we're going to allow the Spirit to speak to us. So there's going to be silence before we come to communion. I'm going to encourage everyone to close your eyes, put your hands out. If you've been here before, then you, you'll be familiar with this. You might think it's a total waste of time and you can't understand why I always do it. It helps us to be sat open in the presence of God is the reason. And it prevents embarrassment if anybody feels like they want to cry or they want to respond. Put your hands out, close your eyes, and let's just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, speak to us. Bring us closer to Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If you sense God speaking to you about something, then just quietly respond. You might want to say, yes, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You might want to come at the end and pray with Heather or me or uh, someone else from the church leadership, your life group leader or someone like that, that... That the God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that happens. We pray with other people and the Holy Spirit's relationship with us changes. You might sense that God is calling you to go and speak to someone about Alpha. Say, yes, Lord, give me a chance. You might sense that actually God's got a calling on you to, to give your life to someone, that there's something, a cause or a, a need that's in your heart that just burns there. Say, yes, Jesus. You might sense that actually lots of stuff have got in the way. And God just wants to strip back your faith and say, it's actually all it is is about Jesus. Come Holy Spirit.